You know, I, I pray that uh, you sense how, um, how special this gathering is. And, and not because of what special day it is or what's going on or who's involved, but simply because, once again, this local community of believers has gathered for worship again in the name of Jesus. Because, you see, the gathered church is not an optional part of Christianity, but it is the vehicle through which God's salvation wisdom is revealed and demonstrated to local communities. And it is through the scattering of local churches that God's salvation wisdom is in fact revealed to the world. It's it's been said that a church unified in the truth and in love is one of the most powerful displays of God's glory in all of creation. So I pray that it is not lost on us how special this gathering is and every time we meet. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 suggests that this gathering should be a time of, of encouraging one another. Colossians 3.16 says that this gathering should be marked by thankfulness. Psalm 122 and Psalm 100 informs us that we should gather with joy, with gladness, and with singing. And Hebrews 12 says that our gathering should be marked with reverence and awe. And I trust we've, we've come uh, that way and we appreciate uh, the privilege of coming together in this moment. Of course, we all know by now, uh, well, well, hopefully, that today is Father's Day. And uh, I'm not sure how many uh, breakfasts there were in bed, as was mentioned earlier, but nevertheless, this is Father's Day. This is a special day to give thanks and honor to dads. And so we give thanks today for, for, for fathers, and we want to wish all the fathers here today a very happy Father's Day. But also we recognize that not all men are fathers, and so we also we give thanks to, to male role models who are in our lives, and to male mentors and teachers and encouragers. And so we, we pause to honor all you men who play an important role in the lives of others, in shaping, uh, shaping the, the lives of other people. Now, perhaps for those of us who've been in the habit of attending church for many years on Father's Day, we, we might have a pretty good idea of what to expect. You know, the inevitable Father's Day sermon on how to be a good dad or how to be a better dad. Because after all, on top of everything else that parents have to face in this hectic, complicated, pressurized world, a sermon reminding you of your shortcomings as a parent is just what everybody needs. But sadly, it's what many have come from to expect from preaching in general. Right? You know, think about it. Here's Here's how you keep Christ in Christmas. Here are four steps to becoming a better mom. Here are the things you need to do if you want to celebrate 50 years of marriage. And dads, follow these instructions if you want to qualify for the the Dad of the Year award. We, We call this kind of preaching moralism preaching. And moralism preaching 
is focused on trying to change behavior. Moralism is the belief that the gospel can be reduced to improvements in behavior or altering habits. And so give me a list to follow. Tell me things I shouldn't do. Tell me what's acceptable. Give me, give me some advice. And, and moralism preaching may produce potentially better behaved people, at least for a short time. But that's not the real power and hope of the Christian gospel. You see, the gospel, as you know, is the good news of what God has done to save us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the hope and power of the gospel is not just about improved behavior, but about how the gospel transforms lost, sinful, broken people into the adopted sons and daughters of God. And so the gospel brings us into a love relationship with God through Christ that changes our hearts and redirects our desires. And so my posture in approaching this Father's Day sermon is not to tell you how to be a better dad or a better role model, a better parent or husband. Instead, I, I want to, with the Lord's help, to I want us to have a fresh vision of who God is, and specifically of God as our Father. We really don't need more advice on what to do and what not to do. I believe our greatest need is to be freshly captivated and motivated by an ever-increasing, awe-inspiring vision of our Heavenly Father. For our lives are truly shaped by what we love most. In, in the midst of our weaknesses and struggles to be a better husband and a better dad, I, I stand before you as one entirely convinced that our greatest need is not another pep talk. Our greatest need is a fresh Biblical, gospel-driven vision of God. A, a vision of God that overwhelms us, that humbles us, that inspires worship, that motivates us to lay down our lives in service. We need to spend more time gazing upon the beauty of our Lord. More time standing in awe of God's beauty. What sets the direction of our lives is our awe of God, our love, and our worship of our Heavenly Father. So let's, let's think some more about this in relation, for example, to raising children. If you were to capture on paper God's job description for the family, what would you write? If you had to paint a portrait of the ideal child you're trying to produce, what would that look like? I suppose we're all guilty of parenting without a bigger picture in mind. We raise our kids, we go through life often lacking expansive goals that guide everything we do. You see, parenting needs to be more than just changing or improving moral behavior. And so, you know, we, we want to raise children that are polite and, and that are kind and that are hardworking and they don't talk with their mouth full. We want to raise children who can recognize the parent's eye. 
you know, that when they're doing something you don't want them to do and you're in a crowded room, that you can give them that eye and they, they know that they recognize something, they're not doing something exactly right. We want to do all those things. But, but the goal of parenting is more than controlling behavior. It's deeper. Paul Tripp wrote these insightful words that every year thousands of supposedly Christian young people go off to universities and forsake faith. And he says, I would propose to you that they are not forsaking the faith at all. They never had it in the first place. Instead, they grew up under a system of control that, that forced the faith upon them. But when they got to college and the system vanishes, their true hearts reveal themselves. That, you see, friends, is the grave danger of moralism preaching and a moralism approach, a moralistic gospel it's based on telling me what to do and what not to do. And so while we think that our children may have a behavior problem, the real issue is that every child has a heart problem. The primary problem is not a behavior problem. The primary issue is a heart issue. That our hearts are not standing in awe of God's beauty. The awe, the, the wonder of God that comes from beholding the beauty of our Lord is not functioning in our hearts the way God intended it to. And so the big agenda is not to raise our kids right so that they fit into some neatly packaged moral code. I would suggest the big agenda of parenting is to do everything we can to put the glory of God and His grace before our children so that the awe and wonder of God rules over their hearts. And more than just presenting a system of morality, we want to help shape hearts that are captivated by the glory and grace of God. It's like the ancient wisdom from the early Christian theologian Augustine whose, whose point was that we are defined by what we love and that our loves govern our actions and our pursuits. And so we have this high calling as parents and mentors to lead emerging generations to love God supremely, to stand in awe of God's grace. And so we need an expansive vision of God, and then we need to pass that vision on to the next generation. And you know what? God has made his power and his faithfulness and wisdom and goodness and love and his mercy visible to us every day through the lens of the world that he's created. Created. Yes, every glorious created thing points to a God of far greater glory. And again, Tripp offers some insightful commentary when he says that it's not unnatural to talk to kids every day about God. God made hot and God made cold and God made water that freezes on one end and boils on the other. And God made the delicacy of the lily, the inexhaustible wings of a hummingbird, the lumbering walk of an elephant, the multicolored stripes of a rainbow, the terror of a storm, the, the processes of the earth to supply us food to eat, the splash of stars at night and a myriad of other things to see and to hear and touch and taste every day. You just can't get up in the morning without bumping into God. Every day it's God here and God there and there and over there. And that's, that's our job. That's our role. 
to help our kids see the glory and the grace of God in everyday life. And the good news is that he has placed us as parents, as role models, in the strategic position of helping kids behold God's glory and grace. And so I suppose a, a pressing question for us might be, has God's glory and grace captured your heart? Is, is God's glory and grace capturing your heart? Do, do you have, are you experiencing this ever-increasing, deepening wonder of the glory and the majesty of God? Because the fact is, it's hard to give away what you have not experienced. And so perhaps many of us today need to begin by asking God to open our eyes, our heart, to the ever-expanding glory and grace of God. We, we need to be living in heartfelt awe of God, for I would suggest that heartfelt awe of God is the only antidote for living for oneself. In fact, that's the call to worship in Hebrews 12, verse 28, which says, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And so may our hearts today stand in, in awe of the stunning, rescuing beauty of God's glory, grace, and authority. And so as I'm, as I'm processing all of this in my heart and mind, I'm drawn to, drawn to the gospel of Matthew chapter 7, and, a verse, and, and especially verse number 11. Matthew chapter 7 and uh, verses 7 to 11, but specifically verse 11. And as you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, you'll note there in verse 11, and we'll read this passage in just a moment, that you'll note that this verse draws us into a comparison. And, and this verse draws us into a comparison, and the point of the comparison is for us to see how much more gracious and kind and loving God our Heavenly Father is. So let me, let me read this verse, but let me read it in its context. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. A, a familiar passage, I'm sure, to, to many of you. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. And Jesus says, Ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? How much more? The main point of my, my, my sermon today is that our greatest need is a fresh vision of God. To be captivated by a fresh vision of God and specifically 
a fresh vision of God as our Father. And so verse 11, Jesus says, if you, if, if we who at our best are still faulty and weak and broken, and if we in the midst of our humanity, in the midst of our sinfulness, if we in the midst of all that, if we despite our sinful nature still know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more? And so that's, that's the comparison that we're being drawn into. And so this verse is set in, into the context of some beautiful words about prayer. And, of course, one of the ways that we relate to God is through prayer. Talking to God, the, the privilege of making a request to God, of worshiping Him. And we're instructed here to ask, to seek, to knock. And, of course, you know these commands are given in, in the present tense, which suggests a, a consistent and continuous asking. And, and I, would suggest, I would suggest that the thrust here is that we're being invited by our Heavenly Father into an ongoing, life-giving relationship with Him. But as I said, the phrase, how much more, adds a dimension of comparison. A few years ago, uh, the, the, the company Gillette did something uh, clever in the lead-up to Father's Day. They launched a special campaign called Go Ask Dad. And according to Gillette... 94% of teenage boys look to the internet for basic how-tos instead of asking their own fathers. And so the commercial just a couple of years ago went viral. It's rather short, and so take a quick look at this, at this commercial.
that video reminds us just how important relationship is. And, and, I, and I look at that video with, with fondness because of the great relationship I enjoy with my dad, who's, who's here in the service today. And so I know that I can go to my dad at any time and ask for help. The video may call many of us to think of the relationship that we have with our earthly fathers. But then in, into that, despite what kind of relationship has existed, into that, Jesus says, if you, who are full of faults and you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? And so we're being, we're being drawn in to see we're being drawn in to see how, how great and how loving and how patient and kind our Heavenly Father is. Now look, I understand that the imagery of God as our Heavenly Father becomes a little more difficult if our experiences with our earthly fathers has been less than ideal. And the problem is that we have a tendency to project a concept of fatherhood upon God Instead of receiving the image that he projects in his word. And this affects our relationship with God and affects our, our prayer life. As one person writes, if your father was demanding and lacked grace, then you see God this way. If your father was cold and distant and uninvolved, then you see God this way. If your father was unable to deliver on his grand promises, then you see God this way. This is the spiritual equivalent of having your shoes tied together by some pesky kid before getting up from the table. It hamstrings you at the starting blocks of the race. You're not going to go very far. And so the words of Jesus recorded by the gospel writer Matthew aim to help us have a proper, grander vision of God as our Father. And it speaks of relationship. It speaks of strength and care and grace and protection and wisdom. And, and I pray today that our hearts and minds would be captivated in a fresh way by the image of God as our perfect Heavenly Father, the image that He presents in His Word. How much more? See, our Heavenly Father, as we see in our scripture reading, has a loving nature, infinite knowledge, and a listening ear. And I pray that the most broken and irresponsible fathers among us don't rob our hearts of the joys we find in knowing God and calling Him Abba, Father. I want you to see God as the Father as your heavenly Father who has adopted you through the finished work of Jesus, the Father who freed us from slavery to sin and our orphan-like ways and, and, and gave us the spirit of sonship, a secure place in His family and an inheritance that can never spoil or fade. We don't need more advice. We need to see more of God. We need, we, need a, we need a how much more vision of who God is. A biblical vision of God as our Father, a loving, caring Father who always responds to you with what you need. If you 
who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more. And I want you to know that God's care for us is far greater than the care that best human parent can offer. Jesus says that every human parent at their best falls woefully short in comparison with our Heavenly Father. And the good news is that our Heavenly Father will answer with what He knows is good for His children. God, our Father, gives us what is good. So how do we define that? How do we define what is good? Well, it might be helpful to think in terms of how you parent your children. Good does not always include everything our children want or would like to have. Our kids, when they're young, might want ice cream for breakfast every morning. Hey, I want ice cream for breakfast every morning. But, but that's not what is good for them. Sometimes what is best for our children is not what they ask for. And so I want you to see in our Heavenly Father today, our God who knows what is good for us, what is needed for us, our Heavenly Father who knows exactly what is best. You see, God's generosity may not always match up with his children's wishes, but you can be sure that God will always give you what is in your best interest according to his perfect, pleasing will. So may we see, may we see that God today, may we see that God today by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we be brought into a fresh vision of our Heavenly Father. Yes, you have a heavenly father in heaven. He loves you and sent his son to die for you. He has freely adopted you. You are an heir of all that he owns. He has given you his spirit. He is all powerful and all wise and is more ready to help you when you call than the best earthly father in this world. So go to him. Go ask dad. Go ask your heavenly father. You're called into this relationship. Talk to him about your kids and your marriage and your struggles and your wishes and your desires. And may I suggest that you Ask less for advice and pray more prayers like, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. God, open the eyes of my heart that I might see you for who you are. And Lord, may my heart be captivated by the beauty and the wonder of your grace. That's our greatest need today, friends. You... We can't think our way towards holiness. Our hearts need to be captivated by the wonder and the grace of God. Yes, may our lives be captivated afresh by the wonder of who God is. May, may the fire of our love for God be stoked by the beauty of God's fatherly love. Holy Spirit, I invite you to do that work in our hearts and in our lives today.
that in the midst of the ongoing struggles and pressures of this world, that each of us would be captivated freshly, yes, even right in this moment, captivated afresh by the beauty of who God is. And may that fresh vision of God serve as the motivation for us to live and serve and love and give to all those around us. The, the, the French poet Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. How's that for French? <laughs> In fact, I want to say that again. The French poet Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. No, I won't do it again. He, he captures... He captures the motivating power of love when, when he counsels this. You've heard this in a variety of forums. He said, he, he said, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I'll allow God by His Spirit to help you make that application to your own heart and life today. Let me, uh, let me finish up. It's my gift to you on Father's Day. Me concluding this sermon. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. The Apostle Paul speaks on a couple of occasions of believers crying... Abba, Father. Um, the term is a deeply intimate term. And it's a term, I suppose, in one sense, we have kind of domesticated into something, you know, a small child utters in reference to Father. And so some people, you know, taking that phrase have coined up and talk about, you know, sitting on Daddy God's laps and Anyway, that is not quite true in, in the context of how Paul uses that phrase. You know, through, through the work of the Spirit, we're given a new identity as sons and daughters of God. And, and Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. You haven't got a turn there, but Romans 8 verses 14 to 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself, Paul says, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So Paul is saying, that the reality of our adoption by God, the reality of our inclusion through grace in God's family, the reality, this reality is so intense that we cry out, Abba, Father. Or we might say, Dear Father. Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, The Whole Christ, points out that the verb cry that Paul uses here, that's used by Paul, normally indicates a loud or a needy cry. 
The same verb is found in the Gospels, for example. Uh, It's found in the Gospels of the blind beggar crying out for help. It's used of the crowd crying out, crucify him. And in Revelation, it's used of a woman in childbirth. And so when Paul says that we cry, Abba, Father, it would appear he has a loud cry in mind that arises from situations of great need. And from our great need, the Holy Spirit empowers us to cry out, Abba, Father. Dear Father, and more than a cry for help, it is a reminder to our soul of whose we are. This is not the restful whisper of contentment and security, but it's the cry of a child who has stumbled and tripped and fallen, and it's crying to the Father to come to help. And I want us to see in closing that this is not a reasoned cry but it's a reflexive one. This is the cry of children. It's the cry of relationship. And this is the deepest instinct of a child in need, the reflexive cry of the adopted children of God. And and this, this instinct is absent from the unbeliever's consciousness. At best, you know, in times of need, someone might cry out, Oh, God. Ever hear someone cry that out? It is only the believer who has been changed by grace that instinctively cries out, Oh, Father. Oh, Father. And what a joy Jesus, through the Spirit, has given us his own special name for God. And it has become our natural cry to our loving Heavenly Father. May we be captivated by the sheer joy of that kind of relationship. And may we all have this deep awareness today. May our hearts and minds be captivated in a fresh way by whose we are. May we stand in motivating awe of the fact that our Heavenly Father has relocated us in His universe of grace. Let's pray. Dear Father, Heavenly Father, our great God, we thank You that we can come to you in prayer. And Lord, quite simply, what I ask at the closing moments of this service, I ask that through a work of your Spirit, you will give to us all a grand vision of who you are, a fresh, captivating vision of your glory and of your grace. And I pray that that fresh vision today will motivate us in fresh and new ways to live for you, to lay down our lives 
in service. May we as a church community, may we corporately be captivated by this fresh vision, Lord, of who you are. God, our Father. And thank you for that witness of your spirit that empowers our spirits to cry out to you, dear Father. Thank you for the joy of our relationship with you. May we leave this place captivated by your glory and grace. In Jesus' name.